0: we're talking about living life without regrets because unfortunately too many people get to the end of their journey on earth look back at their life and have regrets wish they had done things differently wish they had started some things earlier god doesn't want you to have that experience now none of us are going to get to the end of our journey and say we've done it perfectly but god does want us to get to the end of our time on earth and look back and say we did well we've honored him and we have very, very few regrets. I shared with you last Sunday a recent uh, survey of Americans aged 60 and older about their regrets, things they wish they had done differently or done better. And see on the screen the graph of the, the biggest regrets that Americans of that age have. One was wishing they had saved more money. The second one was that they had taken better care of their health. Third, made better investments. The fourth, Uh, kept legal documents more organized, and uh, the fifth stayed um, closer with their family, and then the sixth one worked longer. And we talked about how when you look at that research, I categorize the regrets that most senior adults have in three areas. One is financial regrets or financial issues. The other is health issues. And then the third is family or personal relationship issues. And so we're going to spend some time together over the next few weeks, talking about those areas, those regrets, and what does God teach us about those, and try to be as practical as we can to help us do better, because that's what God wants and that's what we want. And our key verse, if you will, is Paul's summation of his life. He was near the end of his journey, and he wrote about it in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And he looked back over his life, knew that death was close at hand, and you'll remember he said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. He viewed his life as an offering to God. It's like a Jew in the Old Testament going to the altar and having a, a container of wine and they would pour it out and, and, and pouring that wine out was an offering to God. He said, he said, my life is like that. And with every passing year, the cup is emptier and emptier and now I'm near the end. The time of my departure is at hand, it's come, it's death is close. But I, I've poured myself out not on things that don't matter not on things that resulted in me having a lot of regrets. I have poured my life out on the altar of Jesus Christ. I'm a living sacrifice, a a uh, being poured out as a drink offering to God. And now the time of my departure has come. Death is imminent. And here's what he said about his life. He said, "I fought a good fight, finished the course, and kept the faith." When I look back at my life, the apostle Paul said, "I really don't have a whole lot of regrets." He knew he'd not been perfect. He was the one who said, "I'm the chief of all sinners." But when he looked back, he said, You know what? I did I did really well. I finished the race. I finished the course. I never quit. I I I never quit. I didn't give up on the things that mattered. I never quit. I never gave in. I didn't quit on Jesus. I didn't quit on the things that were important. I finished the course. I finished the race. I didn't quit. And he said, I kept the faith. Never backslid. Never gave up on Jesus. When it was easy, when it was hard, didn't matter through all kinds of circumstances. I I stayed true to who I was as a disciple, as a follower of Christ, the values that he wants me to live by. And so when I look back, hey, I finished the course. I kept the faith. I fought the good fight. Even when it was hard, I didn't give in. I kept fighting for Jesus. I never caved in to the pressure, never caved in to all the challenges. I finished, I kept, I fought, I did well. And God wants that for you. God wants you to get to this side of your time on planet earth, look back in the direction of your birth, especially your time as a follower of Christ, and say, you know what? I can smile. Not perfect, but I'm not burdened down with a lot of I wish I had's. I'm not burdened down with a lot of regrets. So we're going to talk about financial issues and relationship and family issues and and health issues, but this morning, we're going to focus on uh, financial issues. And remember now, as we talk about all these subjects, there's some key principles we want you to keep in mind. One is the way you view your life, your purpose in life, determines the decisions, influences the choices that you make. Paul said, I see my life as an offering, as a drink offering to God. The way you see your purpose on earth, your existence will influence ultimately the decisions you make. That's the first principle. The second principle is this. The decisions you make, the choices you make, will shape your life. Okay? It shapes how you live. So how you see yourself and your purpose determines the decisions you make. The decisions you make determine your life. And then the life you live determines when you get to the end... How do you feel about it? Do you have a lot of regrets? Or can you look back and say, you know, I've I've done pretty well. But it all begins with how you view your existence and your purpose in this world and your relationship with Jesus Christ. Then your decisions grow out of that. And then your decisions shape your life. And how you live shapes how you feel. You can't get over here and say, I want to feel good if your choices resulted in a lifestyle that don't guarantee good feelings and good experiences at the end. So that's why we got to go all the way back to the beginning. How do you see yourself? So this morning, keep that in mind as Michael and Jay join me up here. And we're going to talk about uh, some, financial, some financial issues because of the top five regrets that uh, people age 60 and older in America have, you notice that, uh, that uh, uh, three of those five, in one way or another, dealt with financial matters. And so I've invited uh, Jay Reinhardt, who's the CEO of Reinhardt Realty, as a tax and estate planning attorney, and Michael Baker, over here on the the far side, a financial partner at uh, Vertex Capital Advisor and a certified financial planner and also certified to help people with uh, retirement income planning to join us. And we're going to talk about some financial issues. And take 15 or 20 minutes and... And share some things. And there's a place on your sermon insert you can take some notes. Please do that. If while they're talking you get a thought, you know, I need to, I wish, jot it down, capture it. Don't don't say I'll, I'll write that down when I get home. Write it down as soon as it comes into your mind. Capture that. And guys, thank you for joining us today. I want to begin by just asking if you would uh, share with us from your perspective, because y'all deal with a lot of people at different places in life, age, income level, et cetera. Um, talk to us about either the, 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 the most common or the biggest
1: mistakes you see people making. Well, Steve, probably the, the number one thing, as we discussed in the last service, is, is the fact that the majority of people have no financial plan whatsoever. And uh, there's no strategy, and and because you got my jigsaw puzzles analogy so perfect, in the first one we'll use a different one. Uh, you know, <laughs> so he's, he's
0: determined to trap me. I'm
1: going to get you. <laughs> but this is this is more broad. But we we and a lot of times we use analogies to you know to make complex ideas simplified. Mm-hmm. And the one that we talk about a lot is a marathon versus a sprint. And uh, you, you know if you're preparing for a marathon, you can't just get up and go run a marathon. You have to you know put a put the time in. You've got to train yourself. you got to have a strategy about how you're going to eat, how you're going to sleep, how you're going to run the miles, how you're going to log the miles. Race day is going to come when it's going to come, whether you're ready or not. And so mm-hmm. just like preparing for a marathon, we, we tell people, to, you know, it's important to have a strategy financially for your, you know, your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, because eventually you're going to <laughs> most likely want to retire. And if you haven't been preparing for that, you're not going to be ready.
0: So you would say the the biggest or common mistake is just not having a plan, a
1: strategy, not planning. Not planning, not having having a strategy. All
0: right. Jay? I would say
2: not taking control that this is your plan. In other words, not taking ownership of it. Um, So many people rely on the fact that, well, the government's going to help me with my financial planning or my parents, I'm going to inherit a certain amount Mm -hmm. of money or I'm going to... Win the lottery. I mean, there's all kinds of different ways that people look at this and yeah. say, well, it's not really my decision. Even down to, well, if I just have my employer withhold money from my, from my paycheck and put it in a 401K, I don't have to choose which which uh, investment strategy. They'll just look after it. So not knowing or not taking um, control over it's their financial plan. Right.
0: As you all deal with people, what, what are some of the reasons you think uh, people are afraid to look at it to take control of it and plan? What keeps people from doing that?
2: Um, it's not easy, Steve. You know, I mean, so many of us, uh, when, we, when we're when going through life, we don't like hard stuff. We like easy stuff. We like to enjoy um, this life. But also this financial planning is, um, it's important. And sometimes we don't like to delve that deep into it. Also, it's the fear of failure. Mm. Um, we have to make decisions. And sometimes we don't like to make decisions. We like for certain things to happen and turn out well um, because in making a decision we have to choose one path or another. And especially in the financial world, like I mean, Michael said many a times, there's so many different strategies that you can go at. We just have to know the goal so that we can help advise you through uh, with that strategy.
0: So sometimes there can be so much information people are
1: intimidated. That's a problem. Correct. Um, go ahead. I was going to say, it's, it, it's overwhelming for many people, and, and because of that, because it gets difficult, you know, um, they, they shy away from it. They, they, they don't know what they don't know, and, and that's that makes a lot of people anxious. Okay. Well, can I also yep. add that it's sometimes
2: perceived difficulty? How do you mean? Um it, it is planning, and it's methodical. Right. We'll talk about that o- over the course of this this talk, is that it's taking a little bit, and it's making the decision so that you methodically do it. Um, so many people come in, and they say, well, I haven't planned. You know, I'm in my 40s or my, my 50s, and I haven't even started planning. And so, wow, now I'm faced with how am I going to do this? And they think, well, I've got – I can't set aside half of my income so that I can prepare. Mm-hmm. You know, it it really is not that. It's it's coming up with a plan and looking at how that plan, that strategy, is going to get us to the right goal.
0: Do you have an example that you can share with people that would help 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 us understand the risk of not planning, not taking ownership of it? That maybe would just help crystallize for us. Hey, if you don't, bad stuff can happen.
1: Sure. Um, I, I read a report recently. I do a lot of research and. In, in the impact of decision making one of the big topics in our industry right now is behavior finance and surprisingly our behavior and how we make decisions is is having much bigger of an impact than people used to think and one of the things was savings rates in preparing and uh, they did a study with somebody uh, two people identical circumstances and they both were starting out just saving 3% of their income and they said this hypothetically this one person's going to get all the right investments they got a crystal ball and they're going to pick all the best investments and this other person is going to pick the worst ones but the person picking the worst ones was going to up their savings rate to 8% and at the end of that time the person who had the worst performing investments even though but they were saving much more money had 15 times the results of the person picking the best So the one the best that
0: incrementally grew their savings from started at 3 you said?
1: It started from 3 and moved up to 8%. So percent. gradually
0: moved up to 8% and that one did better just because of the increase just in savings. Just because they were
1: saving more money. Yep. Wow, which
0: speaks to the importance of time. Correct. Talk about that a little bit about uh, when we should start because time can be a friend or, as I've heard you say before, time can be your enemy. Elaborate on that a little bit if you don't mind.
2: Um, time, especially in this world of finance, is a wonderful friend. Uh, I mentioned in the first service, and I'll mention, because we do have a, a younger crowd here, um, you're brilliant if you start retirement planning in your teenage years. Okay? <laughs> did, y- did y'all get Everybody that? Everybody heard that. Did y- y'all heard that? You're brilliant. <laughs> and the reason is it doesn't have to be a lot when you're in your teenage years. Yeah. Um, I used the example in our house yesterday. We opened bank statements. And I started sharing with the kids uh, about a year ago that we were going to set aside a certain amount of their income that they had made. We're putting it in the savings account. They tithe on their income, and then they're able to spend the rest. And when we started talking about the numbers that were in their their savings accounts, they're like. Wow, you know, I get high fives in our kitchen. I mean, they're they're neat things, and it didn't take a lot to get there. It just took a methodical. I'm going to set aside this amount out of every um, one of my checks. Well,
0: what's the what's the role of of having a budget, and how does that impact this either negatively or positively?
1: Uh, it, it's it's paramount, Steve. I mean, it's so critical. Uh, the when you, when you go to take the uh, Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards, you take their board exam, one of their core principles in financial planning is that cash flow or budgeting is the essential backbone of having a financial plan. So if you can't budget effectively and manage your budget, that's how you make all of your other decisions. That's how, that's how we determine everything else in a financial plan is how well you're budgeting, how well you're managing your money and that determines a lot what you have to work with for any long-term financial plan. So many people think that I don't
2: need to budget, just whatever's left over at the end of the month, I'm going to invest or I'm going to save. That never works, okay? If you don't budget the savings, you don't budget, even your tithe into what you're doing, that's kind of tough if you don't start from that point.
0: Well, I've heard a lot of people talk about, we we know that consumer debt is a major issue. In fact, um, I, I... I shared in the first service that of the American households that have credit cards. Now, so you exclude those that don't. But the American households that have credit cards. Do you know what the average debt, credit card debt is in American households that have credit cards? What's your guess? the The average the average is fifteen thousand over fifteen thousand. So the, average, when the what that means is that. Half of American households with credit card have more than $15,000 in credit card debt. And so consumer debt is really a, a, a major problem, and budgeting gets into that. But I've heard a lot of people talk about buying up and some of the emotional decisions we make that lead to the credit card debt and, and create kind of the, the thinking that, uh, you know, I can't save or I can't plan for Help people with that issue
2: if you can. We've really got two major financial decisions that people make in their life. I mean, they're the two largest (coughs) purchases, if you say that. One's the house um, that they're going to live in, and the two is automobiles. And those, because they're major financial, they also are emotional. The house is where we're going to live. The car is what I'm going to drive every day. And not that you buy an unsafe car, but buying up in that automobile world can have major financial impacts. Um, 0% interest is never 0% interest. (laughs) I mean, money costs uh, to be able to do that, so it's figured into prices of cars and things like that. And then although, you know, we're in the real estate industry, we make our our living selling and and buying homes with our clients, um, we find so many people just come to well, I've been in the house three years, so i got to move. Well, you don't have to move. The house is still functioning in the way. Uh, and then on the flip side we have a lot of older individuals that don't get out don't trade down early enough so they have bigger houses for longer without the need for that mm-hmm. um, which has a huge financial impact on their their future because of the what they can't save
0: during that time frame. since you bring up real estate as a rule of thumb what would you encourage from a financial planning I know you can't people are all different but an amount to have before purchasing a home or percentage or whatever. What would you what would you encourage people to really think about if they're going to purchase a home? That's tough,
2: okay, yep. because there's so many financial products that yeah, are out yeah. there. And, <laughs> and um, you know, you've got to have a minimum of 5%, in my opinion, of whatever you're going to purchase. And not only that, you know, even though your financial um, or your, your mortgage professionals can say, wow, you can afford to have between 38 and 45% of your income for your household expenses. Now, that's not just your house payment. Right. That's taxes, insurance, other... We find the vast majority of time, if you stay in that thirty to thirty-five percent range, it takes a lot of the pressure off because roofs they deteriorate, HVAC units have to be replaced. All of those right. things you don't think about when you're buying your first house actually do come around, and they can affect your ability to to financially do the things because they happen at the worst
0: time. Yeah. You look, you were wanting to say something
1: there. No, I, I just, you know, in. It's kind of funny, but in, a, in, a, in our office, at least, we say rules of thumb means rules of dumb, you know, because no, as Jay said, right. no, there is no one circumstance that applies across so the board. So
0: that, that's the importance, though, of people knowing, having a strategy. Absolutely. Uh, if there's not a
1: rule you can follow, then you have to have something to guide you. Correctly, and, and like Jay said, you know, um, th- there are people in the mortgage industry that will say, hey, this is what you qualify for. That's not necessarily what you need to spend. You know, the same is, you know, with us, when we'll, we we'll, we'll look at a budget, you know, if typically a financial rule or a benchmark is if you, you have over 28% of your income is going to pay principal, interest, you know, taxes on your home, you got you might have too much house. Yeah, you know, so. and that's one of the issues if, if people buying up more than
0: they really can afford because that, that limits their ability to do other things in life, to live, to plan, to retire, et cetera. All right? Um, if you could look out here and say to everybody in this group, here's one thing I really want you to think about doing,
1: what would it be? <laughs> All right. Um I would, I would encourage everybody in here to, um, to seek financial counsel, advice from, from a professional. Um, as I mentioned in the first service, there was a study that was done recently that said over 50% of Americans will never talk to a financial advisor. And, um, you know, we have a coming financial crisis in our country, I believe, just because of the national debt and some other things. And it's just very, very important that you seek out information is not enough. If information was enough, we'd all be skinny, rich, and happy, right? So, um, you know, I don't, my wife is a guidance counselor, and I look at her every day, and I'm like, there's no way I could do what you do, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and people that have trained and, and do other vocations that are very important and noble, I don't expect them to know what I know financially. So it's you know it, it's okay to seek advice. It's okay. It's not it doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you inferior. And um, if you're talking to somebody that truly is a professional, they're, they're going to want to help you. So.
2: Um,
1: one word, start.. Yeah. You know that is the,
2: the biggest regret that I see people walk into the office and say, I should have come and seen you 10 years ago, 20 years ago, especially during the last financial crisis we had. Uh People waited way too long for us to be able to help solve the problem. And a lot of times it ended up with a bankruptcy or other things as their sole way out of the crisis that they had gotten into. So... As we look down the line, just beginning even saving 10, 20, 30 dollars a month, it doesn't sound like a lot. But over time you start, Michael like mentioned in the last service, you ask the question, did I miss that30 dollars this month? Well, not really. So what if we made it 60 next month? And then that snowball effect right. of saving and methodically doing it every single
1: week or month is huge. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, people, what we see a lot is, uh, you know, you wait till the fourth quarter. And in the fourth quarter of life, you, you know, all right, it's time to get serious. It's time to, you know, to go win the game. And it is so much harder, it is, to move a mountain than just to pick a shovel of dirt up, one, one shovel at a time. Right. And, and, you know, that's what we just encourage people, to, you know, like Jay said, start, that's the first thing. But the earlier you can begin, the, the easier it will be because you develop those habits and discipline.
0: And about financial planners, we offer workshops and classes and things here at the church quite often. And these guys lead some, most of those, and um, they're free. And we don't sell anything. So when you come to one of the workshops that we offer at First Baptist, nobody's selling you anything. It's giving you information to help you in your planning and, 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 and to encourage you and as a ministry to you. So don't worry about, about that side of it. Um, if you have children still living at home. They can be a baby to a teenager. You have kids in the house. Raise your hand and wave. Okay? All right. Now, guys, real quick, because we've only got a, a minute or so left. Say something to them about the importance of a will and a couple of other things you think would be important to people who have kids still at home.
2: It's imperative in my opinion. I'm dealing with a situation right now where um, there is uh, the most difficult situations we deal with are either a surviving spouse, in this case it's a a gentleman that came in with his wife having passed away, and unfortunately without a will now the kids have an interest in the house because of just the way our laws are set up in South Carolina. You won't won't die without an estate plan. He doesn't totally own 100% of the house anymore. Right. And they just made the presumption. And so there's some misunderstanding about what our laws um, do and certainly having that will or having those documents. um, We joke in our our seminar that nobody gets to pull out the card that says the day that they're going to die and the time on it. Mm -hmm. We weren't given those. So you never know. And it's just one of those it's easy to do. They're very simple documents. And that first plan will allow you to think in the future.
1: Okay. Just to add to what Jay would say is, uh, you know, having a will and and having life insurance and these other things, it's never about you. It's not about you. Um, And and that's the biggest thing I would say is because, you know, we don't think about it, but we're not going to be here to sort that mess out if right. something happens to us. And we don't we never think overconfidence as I mentioned in the first service, we never think that that, that might happen. And one of the things that, that I learned when I was going through, you know, some of my studying about that is, is that uh, if you don't have a, a guardian suggested for your small children, you're leaving that decision a lot of times up to the, the judgment of, of a court to say, here's where your children are gonna go. You know, uh-huh. um, and the court still makes those decisions, but I think it does really help to have the parents say, "Hey, in case of something right. happening to us, here's where we would really like our children to be." To be. You know, I, I wanted them to say of.
0: something about that because I don't remember the exact percentage right now off the top of my head, but it's a high percentage of people who do not have wills, especially young people who are raising their kids. And you need a will when your kids are born, definitely. So, word to the wise. Um, February 8th, Sunday evening, 4 to 6 o'clock here at the church, these guys are going to lead a financial workshop, two hours on Sunday, February 8th, free, not selling anything. Some of the stuff we talked about here today, they'll go into great detail on. You'll have time to ask them questions, um, talk to them one-on-one. Please jot that down. There will be information in our... Uh, publications about it, plan to come to it. We offer it as a ministry to you because we care about you and we want to help you and that's what these guys are doing. Would you say thank you to Jay and Michael for me? God Thanks. bless you. Thank you guys. Now, in the time we have remaining, I want to just share with you, almost in machine gun fashion, a whole bunch of Bible verses. I want you to see what God in His Word says about work, about money, about savings, about planning for retirement, about generosity, all these different things. And, and I'm going to be honest with you, I'm hoping the cumulative effect of seeing these verses will have an impact on you, will, will, will get your attention. And these are only a select number of verses. We, we could spend all day reading and talking about verses in Scripture to talk about this issue, you know, financial issue. So the insert in your bulletin this morning the sermon outline you'll see on the back side top it says wisdom from god's word let's run through these verses and i'll make some real quick comments and then and just let god speak to you let, let this let this say something to you we begin with proverbs chapter 10 verse 4 where it says lazy hands make for poverty but diligent hands bring wealth god is the one who created work or name work and god wants us to work have a good work ethic not be lazy he wants us to work with integrity with honesty and with values, work is good. Work is not bad. Work is good. All right. Proverbs fifteen twenty seven. The greedy, the greedy bring ruin to their households. Now, most of us don't think of ourselves as being greedy because when we think of greed, we think of somebody who's just really selfish and overboard and all that. And that's one aspect of greed. But there's also a subtle side to greed that it that it can come to us almost like an angel of light, so to speak, and deceive us because part of greed is this excessive wanting what I don't have. Wanting more, whether I really need it or not. I mean, um, uh, we just want it. How many of you have ever said to yourself, you know, I haven't been to Belk in a couple of months. I need to go to Belk. Not because you needed anything, but, you know, I haven't been to Belk in a couple of months. Or it's time for the new cars to be on the lot. I'm just going to go look. Why, do you need? No, I don't need to buy one. But I'm going to go look, okay? And that sense of greed, which is very subtle, can result in something that's talked about in one of these later verses, impulse buying, which leads to consumer debt, which leads to the strain on our budget, which leads to other bad decisions And creates problems down the road because it becomes that cycle like, you know, the the dog chasing its tail. So let's see what else God God, uh, says here. Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. That uh, debt you're not able to manage becomes your boss. It limits you. It hinders you. It impacts you in a lot of ways. And uh, it, it limits your ability to be generous and to help people and to give as well. So you need to develop a plan for getting out of debt. And we offer classes here at church quite often. One that we offer is Financial Peace University. When we offer these things, take those classes. Learn how to put a budget together. Learn how to pay off your debts. Learn how to manage your money. Um, Proverbs thirteen eleven dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. God wants us to have integrity, earn our money the right way, not be unethical. But the last part of that verse, gathering money little by little makes it grow. That's the cumulative effect of time. That's saving. That's preparing for retirement. Little by little, day after day, month after month, year after year, it adds up. And you know, when I was your all's age over here, I wish someone had told me when I started working and earning my first paychecks to start putting X amount in savings right away. If I had known that, my life financially would be different today than it is. And so start while you're young. Time is your friend. Don't waste it. And you young couples, that's the same, that, that, that is true in, in preparation for college. Because if you don't, then when it's time for kids to go to college, you're going to make some bad financial decisions out of pressure. And, and so it's just this cycle that just keeps going because we don't plan and we don't do little by little by little. So systematic saving, systematic preparation. Look at Proverbs 21, 20, The whole The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Now this was written, what, 3,000 years ago or so, so you're talking about an agricultural society. And so they, you know, like I grew up on a farm and we, we put up the crops. We, we, we canned the tomatoes and make crowd out of the cabbage and we stored the potatoes under the house for winters. And so we would have food. Same thing is true financially. That's what he's talking about. You're saving up, planning, preparing for the future. Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 8, go to the ant. You sluggard, those of you who are lazy and, and don't want to plan, watch ants. He said, but consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Nobody telling it what to do, but yet it prepares for the future. And we've got all kinds of people trying to encourage us and give us insights and helps. We need to take advantage of that and prepare for the future. Proverbs twenty-seven, twelve: the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Prudent are people who make wise decisions, good decisions, carefully thought through decisions. And he said they see danger. They, they look out. They see what's coming down the road, and they take refuge. They protect themselves. They prepare. You know that, hey, college is coming. Um, retirement's coming. Emergencies and catastrophes could come. So what's my emergency fund? And so the wise, the prudent plans for those things, he says, but the simple, which is the naive, the inexperienced, don't. They just ignore it and go right on, and they pay the penalty. They suffer the consequence. Proverbs 13, 16, the Bible says, All who are prudent act with knowledge, but fools expose their folly. The prudent person, the one who makes wise decisions, gets knowledge. Don't be afraid to talk with someone. Don't be afraid to read a book. Don't be afraid to learn. Don't be ashamed because you don't know everything. I think that gets in the way of a lot of us getting help as we're embarrassed. Don't allow the fact that you don't know something to get in the way of you learning something. That's what wise people do. Proverbs 12, 15, The way of fools seem right to them, but the wise listen to advice. The one difference this verse tells us that exists between wise people and foolish people are wise people learn from others, whereas foolish people just do whatever they want to do on their own and don't learn from anybody. So get advice and learn from people. Flip it over to the other side. If you want a passage to explain how a Christian views money and material things and handles it. It's this one in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Let's read the whole passage. He said, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. he you say, That doesn't apply to me because I'm not rich. Well, compared to most people in this world, all of us are rich. Okay? And most of us have, I, I know there's a lot of variety in this room, but most of us have... Um, a lot compared to the average person on this planet. Most of us in this room have a place to sleep tonight we don't worry about it. Heat will be on. There's food in the house. And if we don't have food, we can go to the grocery store and buy it. We have a car to drive. Most of us in this room are okay. Maybe not okay according to that, whatever that, you know, quote-unquote American dream is, but in terms of living, having a life, being able to, you know, to, you know we're not... we're, we're you know, we're not on the street. And so he says, here's the attitude we have. Don't be arrogant and, uh, and, and put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to, be, to do good, be rich in good deeds, to be generous, willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, let's break that verse down. Go to the next slide, guys. Don't be arrogant, but put your, and, and don't put your hope in wealth. Instead, put your hope in God, who's, who provides things for us to enjoy in life. Now, ultimately, the question we have to answer individually as disciples, as followers of Jesus, is this, do I trust Him or not? Do I trust Jesus or not? Do I trust Jesus enough to listen to Him to follow His guidance? Do I trust Jesus enough to obey Him? Do I trust Jesus to take care of me and provide for me? Do I trust Him enough? And trust is not something we say as much as it is something that is evidenced by the decisions we make. And So the choices I make financially and otherwise indicate whether or not I have trust in Him or not. And so that is the beginning point for us as a disciple. Let's go to the next slide. He said, Do good, be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. Do good, service, ministry, and generous. Be generous. Be a giver. And I know that there are people in this room who want to give, but you don't think you can give because of consumer debt. You keep saying that the answer to all your issues is make more money. The reality is that for most of us, whatever income we make, we will spend up to. We will live up to. That's, for having, that's what they're talking about, having a strategy or a plan or a budget or whatever. And one strategy is when you get those raises each year, don't necessarily use that as an opportunity to spend more. Use as an opportunity to, to save more, as an opportunity to give more. you got to have a plan. And so God says, hey, be generous. And then the last part, lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, the second coming, the judgment day, eternity. Listen. As followers of Christ, we will be judged. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to give an account to Jesus as a Christian for the life I live as a Christian, and so will you. And part of that laying a good foundation for when I, as a disciple, meet Jesus at the judgment day, part of that foundation is how good a job have I done handling the financial resources that God's blessed me with. The banner hanging on the back wall to the left, one of our passions, resource, investment, that we take everything God blesses us with in life, our time, our talents, our, our income, etc., our treasures, all of that, and we invest it for the kingdom because God holds me responsible for that. So that's part of being a disciple. Now look at Philippians 4.19. Two or three more verses and we'll be done. He said, God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Again, God knows what we need and Jesus talked over and over about it. He will provide for us if we trust him, live for him, and obey him. And then 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money and keep him with your income, saving it up so that when I come no collection will have to be made. Paul taking up an offering uh, in the book of Corinthians, and the strategy he told them to follow was weekly setting it aside. Now notice how God is about systems. Here he's talking about weekly systematic giving. Earlier we t- we, we, in Proverbs he talked about little by little saving, preparing for retirement, putting aside systematic, systematic saving, systematic investment, systematic preparation for retirement, systematic giving. Because being systematic leads to consistency. God is all about being systematic and consistent. When God created this world, how many days did He create in a week? Huh? Seven. Do those seven days repeat? Systematic. Did God create the Sabbath? Every seventh day it comes. Every seventh day it comes. Systematic. When God created this world, how many seasons did He create? Four. Do they repeat? Yes. When God created the world, did He create day and night? Do they repeat? Yes. Yes. God created this world. Did the earth turn? Yes. Does it go around? To, yeah, God is about systematic. Systematic leads to consistency. Where if we, we don't do that. We end up just uh, being spasmodic. We, we, we end up being impulsive. We end up being inconsistent. We end up being unfaithful. We end up being unprepared. So God's all about having a systematic plan for doing those things that are important in life. All right. And by the way, I want to take a quick moment here. And I, I, want to, I, want to, I want to brag on Jesus. I want to brag on you. I want to, I want to give God glory, and I want to thank you. Um, our budget, we call our ministry budget, is your, your tithes, your, your offerings. That's how we fund all of our ministries in this church. So all the ministries with our children, with our youth, with our senior adults, uh, this room, the lights, the technology, uh, our salaries, everything. All of our ministries, the giving that you do, to the budget ministries of this church. That's how we fund all of that. Our budget operates September 1 through the end of August. So that's our budget year. So we just finished the first four months, okay? September, October, November, December. Through December 31, for this budget year, you're giving giving to the budget. The first four months of this budget year is the largest in the history of our church. Our world mission offering. We collect that through the end of January, then it starts over again for next year, okay? So our world mission offering. We have what? I guess three Sundays to go, two Sundays to go, whatever it is. And uh, we've already, two things. One, we've already exceeded our goal. And number two, with still two Sundays to go, our world mission offering, largest ever in our church ministry in church history. <laughs> so thank you so much. And uh, we just thank the Lord for your faithfulness and for your generosity. It's making a difference. Now, real quickly, wrap this up. Matthew 6:24. no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You've heard that verse before, but there's a principle there that having the wrong attitude about material things and making the wrong decisions about material things can impact negatively your relationship with Jesus Christ. It it just goes together because it gets down to that trust issue, that faith issue, that heart issue, that love issue, those priorities and values. So we've got to think about, as a disciple, this is more than just a, a talk about getting ready to retire. It's more than a talk about savings. This is a spiritual talk about your walk with Jesus Christ. Okay, Mark four nineteen. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires of, for other things come in and choke the Word, making it unfruitful. The Word of God. Scripture. God's wanting to do something in your life, okay? God's wanting to grow you as a disciple. God's wanting to teach you. God's wanting to change you. God's wanting to do something in your life. You're reading the Word and you're getting into it and God's speaking to you. But all of a sudden, how you feel about stuff How you feel about a car, how you feel about a house, how you feel about new clothes, how you feel about money gets in the way and it begins to choke in you what God's trying to grow in you. And so God's word becomes unfruitful, unproductive in your life because the materialism and all this stuff keeps messing it up. So. God wants us to work. God wants us to save. God wants us to prepare. God wants us to give and be generous. God wants us to trust Him. God wants us to put Him for all of that stuff. It all goes together. Now, one last verse. And we've been talking about this since the first Sunday after Christmas, and we're going to talk about it uh, all this coming year, Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplica- by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And I I know we make New Year's resolutions, but for the last two Sundays we've talked about, hey, don't just make New Year's resolutions. A better idea is to identify those things God is saying to you. Identify those things that God wants to do in your life. Write it down. What is God wanting to accomplish, God wanting to fix, God wanting to improve, God wanting to change, God wanting to do? And, And like a bullseye, say, that's it. And not only do it, but pray every day. Pray every day, pray every day about what you put in that bullseye and you don't stop praying about it until God answers that prayer. Draw a circle around it, not because there's anything magical about that circle, but because you say that's it, that's what God has said, that's what the Scriptures teaching me, that's what I need to do, be open to, God's trying to accomplish and pray, 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 pray because you cannot pray and stay the same way. When you pray, you change. When you pray, you get up and do stuff. When you pray, God gets hold of you. When you pray, God in heaven moves things on earth. And so if you want things to be different in your life, whether it's financially or otherwise, you draw a bullseye around that, a circle around that, and you pray, 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 and you keep praying every single day until God answers that prayer and tells you to go into something else. Okay? So I want you to stand up. We're going to have our invitation. And here's the invitation. I'm inviting you to surrender your financial life to Jesus Christ. I'm I'm, I'm inviting you to surrender your job to Jesus Christ. Inviting you to surrender your savings account to Jesus Christ. To surrender your retirement to Jesus Christ. Surrender your children and their future to Jesus Christ. Surrender your attitude about money to Jesus Christ, about planning to Jesus Christ to the Lordship of Christ. Stop worrying about it. Take your hands off of it in that sense and tell Him about it. Surrender it to Him and then do what He directs you to do. But you've got to surrender it. That's where it all starts is with Lordship. Surrender it to Christ. Whatever it is. Everything in your financial life. Surrender it to the Lord. Surrender it to Jesus. Your attitude. Your heart. There are Some of you need to surrender your life to Jesus and become a Christian. You, you've never surrendered to Him and asked Him to save you and forgive you. And I'm asking you to come and surrender your life to Jesus and be saved. So let's sing together. Counselors and pastors are here at the front. You come right now and make your decision for Jesus Christ. Let's sing together. Come on. Surrender. Kneel at the altar and surrender.